Well, good morning and welcome again and again. Happy Mother's Day. Uh, it's so good to see you. Well, sort of. Uh, and it was so great to have my, my sons with us here for Mother's Day. I'm uh, not sure how their mom's going to feel about that song, but I got to say, that was epic. So good. I think that's going to go down as one of the better Hillside memories. But uh, to all the women out there, moms or not, what an honor it is for us to do life with you. Uh, life is richer because of you. As someone once said, here's to strong women. May we know them, may we be them, may we raise them. Uh, we're grateful for you at here at Hillside. And, and whether you're raising a child or you're running a company or whatever it is you're doing, we're, we're, we're for you and we're cheering you on. We celebrate you this morning. Well, there's no question we are living in what is interesting days. Uh, according to our premier, it looks like we're going to be doing church online for some time. But the joke was going around this week that coronavirus has turned us all into dogs. We wander around the house looking for food. We get told no if we get too close to strangers. And we get really excited going for walks and car rides. The other line I came across this week that I thought was pretty hilarious was this. When this quarantine is over, let's just not tell some people. And while we can laugh at, at, at certain parts of this experience, the reality is most of it's just been really hard. Uh, my sense for many of you that I've talked with is that this social distancing and, and isolation has been really, really frustrating right now. It was once novel, and it's not so novel anymore. I, th I think a lot of people are feeling kind of restless right now. And, and as a pastor, I'm asking the question, what does God want to do in and through us in this time? And I suspect the simple answer might be, God wants us to thrive. He, he, he wants us to live a life that's more deeply anchored in him, to thrive spiritually in a deep, deep way that spreads to every part of our lives. So what does someone who's thriving look like? Well, we're in this series looking at uh, Paul's letter to the Philippians, and, and there are passages in Philippians that give us some clear picture as, as to what thriving looks like. Listen to this. Here's one from Philippians 2.14, where it says, Do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation, in which you shine like the stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. Those are fantastic words. And, and to thrive spiritually is the, the most magnificent thing that can happen to a human being. It means that in increasing ways, I'm, I'm helping the poor with what I have. I'm becoming more patient with people. I, I'm bolder to share my faith with others. Uh, servanthood is becoming more a way of life for me. It means more and more I'm into humility and not recognition. I don't know about you, but, but I want that. And, and I want that for you. And the question is, how do we pursue it? How do we get that? How do we cultivate that in our lives? Well, I want to begin by telling you the number one factor that God uses to help people thrive spiritually. You're going to love this. I, I've experienced this personally. I, it's in the Bible. It's it's been proven by Christians generation after generation. Think about this. When have you grown the most spiritually? What are the, the factors that have produced the most growth in you? Survey says suffering, pain, difficulty, problems. Isn't that great? Isn't that exciting? 
Not so much. But of course, this is in, right in line with what the writers of Scripture have often said. James, uh, Jesus' little brother, put it this way. He said, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. And, and he goes on in that same passage to say how, how troubles or, or difficulty has, uh, is often character forming in us. It, it, it grows us personally. You see, spiritual depth is, is more than just in, increasing our content, our, our information, getting more information. If you want to thrive in God, one of the things you can expect is that you're going to have problems. You'll face problems. Now that you know that, uh, do any of you have a problem or know where you can get one? This brings us to the 12th verse of chapter 1 of Paul's letter to the Philippians. How did Paul respond when, when trouble came into his life? This is what he writes. Now, I, wanted, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear that throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers and the sisters in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. Did you catch the themes in this passage? Themes of courage and, and, and hope and joy? You could call those really markers of the thriving life. But how is it that Paul was able to respond this way? Was he simply an optimist? I, I, I don't think so. Uh, a friend of mine once said, he said, God doesn't call us either to pessimism or to optimism. He calls us to hope. But how do we become people who are full of hope and, and, and courage and joy? It, it's interesting. There's a psychologist named Albert Ellis, and he talks about something called the ABCs of emotional life. And it's kind of a model for understanding how people relate to circumstances the way they do, how they respond to them. ABCs. A stands for antecedent. These are the things that happen to us, my, my circumstance or my situation. C stands for consequence or outcome. This is uh, how I feel about something. This is the way I respond to what happens to me. And Ella says that the great illusion in life is that the things that happen to me, my, my circumstances, control my outcome. They dictate what I feel. So if, if something good happens, you know, I, I, I get a promotion, I, I, I raise, or it's a nice day, or if somebody says something nice to me, I get a compliment, uh, then I feel good. And of course, if something bad happens, if, if something doesn't go my way, if someone says the wrong thing to me, I go down. I'm kind of at the mercy of that. Now, Ella says, in between the antecedents and the consequences, the letter B stands for my beliefs about what happened to me. And he suggests it's my beliefs about what happened to me that ultimately determine the outcome. It's, it's my beliefs that determine what I feel, the way I feel. This is why... 
you have two different people who are in precisely the same set of circumstances, the, the same situation, and, and they have absolutely polar opposite responses to it because where they differ is in their beliefs. Uh, this, for example, is the difference between cats and dogs. Um, a, a dog looks at a situation and says, you, you feed me, you pet me, you shelter me, you, you care for me, you must be God. The cat says, you feed me, you, you pet me, you shelter me, you, you care for me, I must be God. <laughs> Same circumstances, different belief, uh, completely different set of consequences. And you know I just love cats so much. Now, here's Paul's situation. These are the antecedents of his life. He's in chains. Uh, he, he doesn't want to be in chains. He, he wants to be out preaching the gospel, but instead he's chained up in prison. And not only that, he doesn't know what the outcome will be. He later talks about death being a possible outcome. Uh, we think we live in, in uncertain days. Times were, were certainly uh, uncertain for Paul in, in a prison in the first century. And, and he's not only in jail uh, dealing with Roman authorities, he's also dealing with those he, he calls his brothers and sisters. There's a problem with them. Some of them are, are out actually preaching about Jesus, trying to be successful in order to make him look bad. <laughs> we're, we're told they're preaching out of envy and rivalry, which reminds me that you can do absolutely the right thing in the wrong way, Right? Paul's talking about those people. So anyway, Paul's got these problems and, he's, and he knows the Philippians have, have probably heard about this and, and they're apt to worry about him. And so he's, he's writing to them. And so he writes in his letter, he says, I want you to understand about the things that have happened to me. Now that's actually a, a very important phrase. In, in ancient times, in a personal letter, that, that phrase would, would be used when the writer had been kind of done with all the introductory stuff and he was getting to the kind of the meat of the letter or the, the heart of the letter. And so he's saying, here's what I want you to get. It's true, they chained me up and I know it sounds bad, but it turns out that that hasn't stopped this Jesus message getting out at all. And, and, and I, and I got to tell you, I want to spend the rest of our time looking at this because I think, I sense that there's a key here that we really need to understand. So in verse 12 and 13, Paul says, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear that throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone that I am in chains for Christ, for Jesus. Um, Paul's in a very interesting situation. He's under house arrest, probably in Rome, there's some debate about this. We, we don't know for sure, but consensus is he's likely in house arrest in Rome. And, and it's not like today where if you're in house arrest, they put an electronic bracelet uh, around your ankle. In that day, they put a Roman soldier around your ankle. Uh, and so they bring in these, these Roman military men and, and, and they, they're chained up to Paul. Paul, this guy who cannot stop talking about Jesus. And this goes on hour after hour, day after day, month after month. And, and they just rotate you know, guards through this, this guard duty. And all along, Paul is telling them about Jesus. And you can hardly pick a more influential group of, of people to, in all of Rome to share Jesus with. These were the, the palace guard. These were the, the praetorian guard. There were at least 9,000 of them. And they were the, the elite. They were powerful. 
They were called kingmakers since their military might was, was centered in Rome. Their, their approval was essential for any new emperor. Uh, one commentator describes Paul's situation this way. He says, every day Paul smiled to himself because for two years, one of them wore the other end of his chain and for six hours had to stay within four feet of him. He wasn't chained to them. They were chained to him. Paul's chained up to them, and, and they're hearing the gospel. They're, they're hearing the, the good news of Jesus. Now, nobody in the, the early church would, would have said, how are we going to spread the news of Jesus throughout the world and in the power, of, power structures of Rome? How are we going to do that? Here's a good idea. Let's get Paul arrested. I mean, nobody would have planned that. I mean, that's like kind of an only God thing, right? But here's the, the ABCs of Paul's spiritual life. And if you're looking for some for your own inner life, these are not that bad. Paul, Paul's antecedents or his circumstances. Life is difficult. Life is tough. His belief. Jesus is Lord. And then the consequence of this. See, I will rejoice. I will hope. And you'll find this, this little mindset runs throughout Scripture if you, you start looking for it. I mean, one day Jesus was speaking to his friends and he said, in this world, you will have trouble. In this world, you will have problems, but take heart because I've overcome the world. Life is difficult. Jesus is Lord. Therefore, I will rejoice. A lot of times in scripture, uh, different people will look at the same set of circumstances and come to completely different outcomes depending on their beliefs. For example, I, I was reading this week in, in Numbers 12 when, when Moses sends out 12 people, 12 men to, to look at the promised land. They're scouts. And they all, they see the same situation, the same opportunities. And they're all confronting the, the same enemies. 10 come back to Moses and they basically say, no way. We shouldn't go into the promised land. You know, you're right. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. But the people who live there are powerful and the cities are large and they're fortified. We think we ought to go back to Egypt where it's safe. Two of them, Joshua, Joshua and Caleb, my Caleb's namesake, they're, they're there, they're looking at the, exactly the same land, the same city, and they say we ought to go and take possession of the land for certainly we can do it. What's the difference? It comes down to their beliefs. Joshua and Caleb believe that they're in the hands of a great God. And Paul, in, in chains, in prison, he, and he believes He's in the hands of a great God. Everything hinges on that. It doesn't hinge on the things we think it does. Now, this is where the challenge part comes in, part of what makes Paul such a dangerous Christian. And I'll tell you, folks, that part of what I hope for this church is that we'll become full of really dangerous Christians, dangerous to the kingdom of darkness, is that Paul does not expect his circumstances to be easy or pleasant just because he's following God. He doesn't expect that. So it doesn't bother him when, when that's not the case. He, he has a deeper aim in his life than personal or pleasant circumstances. His aim is to be a little conduit where God's love and grace and, and, and power can be poured into every, any circumstances that he finds himself in. In a sense, Paul's saying, I've given up trying to get God to engineer the circumstances that I want, and I'm devoting my life to partnering with God in the circumstances that I'm in. 
Did you catch that? In a sense, he's saying, I've given up trying to control God. And I'm going to go along with his plan, his way, in whatever situation, in whatever circumstance that comes my way, I'll seek to do his will. I'll seek to partner with him whatever is going on in my life, even as troubling as it may be. You know, when you think about it, you know, the, the quality of our circumstances is truly something that's out of our control. I've lived long enough to know this now. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking about taking my boys grocery shopping when they were young. I, I love to do that. I miss those days. And, and you know, some of the, the stores have these, you probably have seen them, they're cart cars, you know? They're so good. And you, you can strap your kids into the section of this particular kid's cart, kid-friendly cart, and, and they each, they have steering wheels and they would get in there and they would love the feel of the steering wheel in their hands, the, the power of controlling this kid's cart. The funny thing is, is they were made for two kids, and so they both would have steering wheels, and that didn't seem to bother them at all. But they'd have this, this inevitable moment, that moment when the boys in the cart car, as they're happily driving away, along, suddenly realize the steering wheel doesn't actually work, that they're not steering anything. We're, we're kind of going, I think, through that kind of moment right now, aren't we, culturally? I mean where we realize we're not steering things either. And, and, and the illusion of control over circumstances is, I think, in our day right now, getting kind of exposed. All the plans that we've thrown out the window this year. I mean, if you bought a daytimer this year, it was a wasted expense. But it leads to the questions, what do we believe about God? Are, are we going to be sort of pushed and, and, and pulled by, by whatever we're going through? Will we be at the mercy of our circumstances? Um, Dallas Willard is a, an author and biblical thinker, a philosopher that I greatly respect. I had planned someday to, to spend two weeks in a monastery with Dallas Willard and Eugene Peterson. Uh, they used to teach a, a course together in a live-in monastery situation. And I thought spending two weeks with these two mentors of mine would have been brilliant. So good. But here's the thing. They both died. And so they ruined my plans. I'm still bitter. By the way, I almost spent a month when I was on sabbatical in a monastery in, in Italy. And uh, somehow alone for a month with monks who don't speak English, you are sworn to silence. With my personality type, I thought I might die. So I backed away from that cliff. I digress. Back to Dallas Willard. <laughs> uh, Dallas wrote a book called The Renovation of the Heart. Great, great read. And he talks about how every morning one of the things he does to deal with the circumstances of his day is, a, is just a real simple thing. He meditatively prays over either Psalm 23 or the Lord's Prayer. You know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Or our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. He'd pray these things, and then he'd hand his, his day over to God, and he says, there's a, a whole lot of things in my life that I can't control, and, and I will walk through this day as one who is walking in partnership with God. And then Dallas says, and it's just a great line, he says, I no longer have to manage weather, airplanes, or other people. Isn't that great? 
There are all these things in my life I think I'm in control of, but I'm not. And, and I don't have to be. I, I can't manage the weather. I can't manage other people. <laughs> I can't, can't manage airplane schedules. I, I can't manage pandemics. It's, it's his deal. It's God. And, and every moment of our lives, there's a God who, who as Paul says, is faithful. Our, our God is a faithful God. And every moment is an opportunity to practice that belief. You know, sometimes circumstances work out in a real cool way and, and make for great stories. And sometimes they quite plainly just end in chains. But still Paul says, our God is faithful. And when things go wrong, our, our God is a faithful God. And when the pain increases, our, our God is a faithful God. And when the circumstances don't look great, our, our God is a faithful God. And, and when the chains come, our God is a faithful God. And this is today where I, I'd like to challenge you in your life this week. Look for some area in your life. You probably don't have to look far right now, but some area in your life where circumstances are not the way you want them to be. It might be in your work. You might be working at home in a crowded house, a crazy house. Maybe you don't have a job. You've been laid off. Maybe it's to do with school, which is chaotic and crazy right now. Maybe it's a miscarriage, a marriage issue, a relational problem. Maybe it's, it's to do with your health. Maybe it's a financial thing. Maybe it's quite intense. Maybe it's just kind of a nuisance or maybe it's something that's very severe. As a spiritual experiment, may I suggest this? Don't make the focus of your prayers this week trying to get God to change your circumstances. This week, try this prayer. God, where do you want to be working in my life in surprising ways? God, how could I partner with you in these circumstances that I'm in right now? Right in the middle of, of the stresses and, and challenges of this unique day we're living in. Who knows what God might want to do in you and through you as you partner with him. One more suggestion to help you do that. You can't go wrong in my book going and following in the footsteps of Dallas Willard. Why not this week choose one of those two passages, Psalm 23 or the Lord's Prayer as we find in Matthew chapter 6. If you haven't memorized these, make, make, make that a goal. That would be a great thing to do during... Uh, the, the, the solitude of these days. But if you've got a brain that can still retain, these are fantastic words to learn. And as you learn and reflect on them, they can be the kind of food that shapes your beliefs, your beliefs in who God is, so that no matter what you're facing, you'll be able to remember that God is faithful. Why don't you bow your heads with me? Why don't we pray? Father God, we know that all of us are, are going through a season right now that is, is difficult. Whatever our circumstances, we ask that you'd help us not be ruled by them. Instead, help us to recall and remember that Jesus is Lord. And because of that, we can hope and we can even rejoice. Thank you so much that you are always faithful. Would you reshape our perspective on our problems with that knowledge so that we might thrive in you. We pray these things, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen.